Sup, nerds! This is In My Expert Opinion, a podcast about the nonfiction side of speculative fiction. Your hosts are Dr. Marcus Cole. I'm technically a scientist. Sarah Ward. I'm a scientist in progress. And me, Abby Cole. I'm not a scientist at all. Join us as we geek out about the made-up stuff we love and the real stuff that shaped it. Today we're going to be talking about vampire folklore across the world. And also Buffy. Yay, Buffy. More Buffy. Yeah, so I guess just to get started, uh, let's touch on vampires and Buffy again. We kind of already talked about it last time, but, you know, vampires and Buffy are soulless, for the most part, undead, part demon creatures. Yes. Yep. Giles had a quote at the beginning that basically uh, went into how... um, Ancient demons, like, infected human hosts, and that made vampires. Giles, uh, Buffy's, Buffy's watcher, the guy yeah. who knows all this stuff. <laughs> right, that nerd. Um, <laughs> that very, very good-looking nerd. Uh-huh. Librarian. Yeah, so basically, they just, like, exist across the world. Um, obviously, like, slayers can be born anywhere, and they, like, show vampires in other areas throughout the show. Um, but they're, like, largely the same creature. Mm-hmm. because they have this like common origin the show also at some point later on talks about another kind of separate vampire species they're like proto vampires i think giles calls them like neanderthals to humans or like what these are to vampires yeah okay um and they're called turek han i think mm-hmm. uber vamps yeah the uber vamps they're like proto vamps they are very very strong but way more like animalistic and less independent than like common vampires are in the show uh-huh. But obviously, like, in the real world, there are vampires across all cultures. Um, They don't have a common origin. I mean, I would say that probably it mostly comes from people being scared of someone drinking their blood. Mm. A valid fear. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. But, you know, like, blood being a life force and something being able to take away your life force is obviously, like, a pretty terrifying thought. And so vampire-type creatures exist, like, across all cultures. Just like dragons. Just like dragons. So I thought we could just go through some vamps. Like, nice. Fuck yeah. Throughout history and stuff. Do a lot of these kind of pop up in Buffy? Like, they have random references to, like, some ancient vampire from, like, East Asia. No. Okay. Never mind. No. <laughs> no, they actually in Buffy are all just the exact same thing. Like, because they're, they. St- yeah, remember, Marcus? Everybody yeah, in Buffy it's is white. white. Got it. Forgot. <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs> Yeah, so the whole thing is that, like, in Buffy, like, a demon bit a human and, like, infected it, mixed their blood, and that made the first vampire, and that's just what all vampires are. So all vampires are, like, the exact same thing. Got it. Maybe a little bit more diluted, you know, with, like, human blood later. Sure. But, you know, they're pretty much the same creature. Missed opportunity. Yeah, so I guess, like, the word vampire itself didn't come into English until 1734. Interesting. And that came from, like, German, and that came from Serbian language itself. But, like, when we think of modern vampires, what we're actually referring to is this image of vampires that originated in, like, the 18th century. But, like, obviously, depictions of vampiric creatures existed before that. So even going so far back as, like, Mesopotamia, there were uh, these demons mentioned in the Sumerian uh, Gilgamesh epic and also found in, like, Babylonian mythology. Um, They were called... The male versions were like Lilu and the female versions were Lilitu. And these were harmful spirits that drained victims of their blood and like their life force and stuff. 
This is debatably connected to Lilith. I was going to ask. That sounded um, like yeah, some Lilith I reference. Say. I think like, so what I was reading was that it is kind of connected, but kind of not. Like people aren't super clear if like the words themselves are like actually linked. Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. the Babylonian mythology influenced the uh, like the Jewish mythology. Got yeah. It. There is only one instance of the word Lilith in the Bible, though, uh, in Isaiah 34, 14, um, where it says, There too the Lilith shall repose and find herself a resting place. In a coffin. <laughs> yeah. The translation for Lilith can also be screech owl or night creature, though. So it's not really clear, Whoa. like, uh... if it's referring to just, like, a monster or specifically, like, this Babylonian, like, Sumerian female spirit that drinks blood. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we're, like, harpies and vampires kind of intertwined in, like, some of this early lore. Like, oh, like, these are these screeching creatures, but they also suck blood and undead. I don't think harpies specifically, but in Greco-Roman stuff, there are bird-like vampires. Hmm. So the last thing about the Jewish version of Lilith is that she was Adam's first wife. Oh. The whole thing that like came up that's now like very popular in like feminist depiction depictions of her is that Adam asked her to be underneath him when they had sex or something and she refused because they were equal. <laughs> and then she was cast out and then Eve showed up. Like it's like this very Wait. <laughs> feminist depiction. Where does that story come from? I actually don't know the origin of that one, but that's like how I heard of Lilith. Uh, that is not yeah, my, in my that's... version of Genesis that I read when I still went to church. I no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> can you imagine? No, this is like a later version of Lilith. I'm not really sure where it came from. I guess I could look that up. But basically, um, she's very commonly depicted as like a demon and a murderer of children, seducer of men, drinker of blood kind of thing. So fucking wild. Yeah. All because she she hated missionary. I guess. <laughs> I guess that's all it takes to become a demon. I guess that's all it takes. You just have to hate missionary and takes. then you instantly, like, demon. Huh, no. Bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so in Greco-Roman stuff, there are a lot of these, like, vampiric kind of creatures. They're also very, like, succubi-like. Actually, I mean, vampires are pretty innately linked with, like, sexuality, right? Like, even in mm-hmm. modern depictions, like, the vampire as this, like kind of sensual creature like edward Edward. (laughs) you know what i mean like i feel like there was like a shift where it went from being like very female creatures to like very male creatures right like Mm. a lot of vampires now it's like i don't know like in buffy right it's like angel and spike kind of thing Mm -hmm. or like edward like it's like the male kind of thing Mm -hmm. and starting with like dracula but then like before it would be all these like female demons and monsters that drank blood and seduced men and killed children interesting was there like an abrupt shift like over like the timeline of like the lore i don't think an abrupt one the sexuality thing was always kind of part of it though okay but yeah, so in Greco-Roman stuff, there's like the Lamia, which is like night haunting demon. In one depiction of her, she was a beautiful queen who had an affair with Zeus. Everybody had a fucking affair with Zeus. And then Hera found out and, and got really <laughs> pissed off. Hera was always pissed off. <laughs> um, but she's depicted as like a woman with like a serpentine like lower body. Oh. There was also the Impusa Impusa, which is a female shape-shifting monster. Again, mostly seduced and fed on young men. As you do. The Romans believed that night owls drank blood, and the name for them was streaks. And so streges or strixes were like these bird creatures that could turn into women and also fed on blood. Huh. Fantastic. Cool. I never made this connection between succubi and, and vampires before. It makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's like a lot of overlap, I feel like, with a lot of the yeah. early stuff is that it was things that went after life force and blood and were mostly seducing like the unwary, you know? Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. But these monsters sound like way more powerful than like the male equivalents in like modern vampire lore. Like, yeah, I mean, these like ladies the... were like shape shifting yeah. demons and like do all this oh, crazy yeah. shit. All like all of those extra powers, like I mentioned, like in the last episode, I was like, oh, they have most of these. That's where they all were. Yeah, the men fucked it up. Yeah, the moral of the story <laughs> it's really weird that men are weak. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> Um, yeah, you could also, there's like vampires like elsewhere, right? So if you look at like Africa, for example, uh, you folklore has uh, Adzi or Ads. It's this like creature that can take the form of a firefly or a human. Weird. And it like sneaks into people's homes when they're asleep as a firefly and sucks blood from them as they sleep. Uh, I actually saw this as like an explanation for mosquitoes and malaria. Like it was the oh. the mythological oh. like version of why people would get bitten by a mosquito and get very ill and die. Man, this is Joss Whedon's opportunity to reboot Firefly and then give his dues to the black community. Do this show. <laughs> Don't. Joss Whedon needs to just stop. Joss Whedon is done. Yeah, Joss Whedon cannot be involved. Yeah, He's done. That's true. <laughs> We're done with Joss Whedon. He's done. He's done enough. <laughs> Go home. Someone else who's only casted white characters. <laughs> yeah. Another one in Africa was um, Impundulu. Um, it was also called like a lightning bird. This is very common in South Africa. Uh, like Zulu people have this like version of folklore. It was this very large bird that was associated with witchcraft and thunder, but it was also said to have an appetite for blood. So it was this like blood drinking bird creature that also maybe had shape shifting powers, depending on what you were looking at. Oh. Wild. I think that is excellent vibes. Yeah. I like the I like the lightning edition. Mm-hmm. All that electrokinesis. Yeah. <laughs> See, this is like where all this weird shit is coming from. Like these powers that you mentioned, it's like these like random creatures that had like all these extra powers and also drink blood. But like neither of those were like undead creatures. Mm-hmm. So they're vampire-like, but they're not associated with like yeah. all of the components of vampirism that we think of. Sure, sure. And were these creatures like drinking like a specific kind of blood? Like, because I like know in like some cultures it's like, oh, it's like, like blood of a virgin, like firstborn son, or like what? Yeah, so all of the ancient ones, like the Mesopotamian, the Greco-Roman, those were mostly children or like young men. Mm-hmm. I don't think, so the ones I mentioned from Africa don't seem to be anything specific like that. Okay. Uh, they're just kind of like generically um, things that hunt people for blood. Uh, the Impundulu one has like the whole witchcraft association. So I guess like generally good people would be attacked. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This is uh, not an episode of Buffy that's about vampires, but there is one where there's like a praying mantis lady who oh, yeah. exclusively preys on uh, virgin boys. In high school. So, <laughs> yeah, high school virgins, boys. And the whole thing is like, <laughs> I don't know. The whole thing, the whole joke of it, I guess, is that uh, the jock guy who was acting all tough is actually a virgin. And that's how sure. he is exposed oh. is by almost being eaten. <laughs> So in Asia, probably the most popular, well-known version of a vampire is Jiangxi. They're also called Chinese hopping vampires. Hopping? Yeah. Amazing. They're typically depicted as corpses wearing the official garments from the Qing dynasty. Uh, The word itself means like hard or stiff because like corpses, uh, you know, rigor mortis, like are hard and stiff. Mm. Sure. It's said that they like walk around or they, sorry, they hop around at night draining the life force from people and they live in like caves during the day away from the sun. Ah. 
I guess like a potential origin of this is that people like used to pay to have someone who died transported back home for a burial. So at the time, there was a lot of like migratory workers when this like legend started existing. Mm-hmm. And so the like relatives or like other people in the area would pay to have them transported back home so they could be buried properly um, in like their own home. Um, and so the way they transported them was by like vertically standing them up and affixing them to like bamboo. Wait, Say that again? They transported them by what? So so the guy that was, like, paid to, like, transport the corpses yeah. would, like, put the corpse against, like, a bunch of vertically, like, lined bamboo mm-hmm. and affix them to that. And then they would only move them at night because it was bad luck to look at them. Oh. But because the bamboo would flex as it moved, they looked like they were, like, hopping down the street. Oh, God. And so that's why they're called, like, Scary. hopping vampires. And so, like, parts of it yeah, are, yeah, like, yeah. like, parts of the legend are, like, oh, like, you know, Maybe it was actually not just like a priest who was moving them, but like a sorcerer who was like animating them to move at night as they went back home. And if the sorcerer lost control, that's how it like broke free and became a vampire that preyed on people. Huh. Okay. That's very good vibes as well. So you had mentioned that like, I guess part of like the folklore was that they like lived in caves. Yeah. And so is this like the first time like we're seeing some fear of sunlight or was that just like, it was just where they lived. There wasn't like a, like they weren't actually worried about the sun they just wanted to live in dark caves no it was definitely more of a hunting at night kind of deal uh other ones also had this the the odds the firefly vampire also only struck at night most of them hunted at night basically it was like people would be sleeping and they'd come into their home and like torment them and drink their blood and stuff (laughs) so yeah yeah i mean i guess it makes sense that there would be an element of it being like something that's unknown or unseen is much more menacing and frightening than something that you can like see and fight or run from you know right exactly like it comes at you when you can't defend yourself fear factors must tire when it's like dark outside you're like i can't really see anything yeah yeah. The crazy thing is about these Jiangxi was also that because they're hopping, I've seen some depictions that showed them hopping a lot. And so they can like suddenly appear behind you when you're walking on the road at night or like jump in front ah! of you. Oh, and then man. they're just like there. Oh. Are they like the weeping angels? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> I mean, like, I guess in terms of like how quickly they appear, right? Like just like, boom, they're there. It's like, ah. Oh, God. <laughs> Um, But this is also one of the earlier depictions of vampires that is undead, in addition to the whole, like, taking life force thing. Right. Um, Let's see. So in the Americas, there's a couple different versions. Um, In Chile, uh, Peuchen, they are these shape-shifting creatures that drink blood. Um, And then I'm sure most people have heard of chupacabras. Um, These primarily are a thing in Mexico, but also, like, the Caribbean, specifically Puerto Rico. Um, And in the southwestern United States, you have these legends. It literally means goat sucker. They mostly drink the blood of livestock. <laughs> that would be such a, it sounds like such a good insult in English, goat sucker. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I mean, I, get, I know it's like literally what it means or whatever, but there's something about that. I, I don't know. I think the it's the K sound again. Yeah. <laughs> the fun. Uh, the muck duck. The muck duck <laughs> phenomenon. Um, but yeah, so these mostly drink the blood of livestock and they weren't like undead. They're just like a monster, you know? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Kind of starting to get closer to what we think of as vampires, though. So if you look into medieval Europe um, and like the 1100s and the 1200s, there were several historians, um, William of Newburgh uh, and Walter Mapp, who was a Welshman, who recorded several accounts of revenants. Um, and these were like vampire-like creatures, corpses that animated and haunted the living. Uh, so explicitly undead. That's like the Winona Earp thing. What? The, re- the revenants. Winona Earp? It's a TV show. Oh, okay. Anyway, there's like there is like zombie kind of things. 
Yeah, so these are um kind of a mix between zombies and vampires because sometimes they weren't depicted as drinking blood, but sometimes they were. Yeah, they were basically just these like repulsive corpse-like monsters that haunted the living. Walter Mapp, for example, uh, the Welshman I mentioned, he wrote of a man who was revived from the dead and would like wander the street at night saying the names of those who would die of a sickness within three days. Oh my god. And then they would die. Oh my god. Fucking creepy. And this happened for a while and then the town got like a priest involved and he dug up the body, cut the head off with like a Ah. spade and sprinkled it with holy water to prevent him from like wandering the street and naming the dead kind of thing. So he wasn't like (laughs) drinking blood, but he was this undead monster that was like targeting people with like a sickness. Well, and also it's like the holy water and decapitating thing is... Yeah, exactly. So it's like this weird, like, ghoul zombie vampire middle category, you know? Mm -hmm. The last part of the medieval thing I wanted to mention is this Jewish mythology that developed mostly in Germany in medieval times, uh, which were estries. Um, And these were, like, vampiric-like monsters that had a special fondness for the flesh and blood of children, specifically. Yuck. Yeah. There's also... See, you're telling... All these folklore things, there's, like, elements of it in Buffy, but they're not the vampires. There's, like, another thing that, like, eats sick children... Right, they're like in Buffy, just like random monsters versus like yeah, being related to yeah, vampires. Yeah, yeah, I wish there was a hopping one though. <laughs> I feel like that's a missed opportunity. Terrifying, right? Yeah. Anyway, so then at this point, we get to what everyone likes to call the 18th century vampire controversy. Oh, fantastic. I love, I fucking love <laughs> a titled controversy. This is my favorite thing. I've never heard of this, and I'm very intrigued. Now, this is what is the origin of vampires as they're commonly depicted in fiction today. This primarily was happening in southeastern Europe and specifically Transylvania. Mm-hmm. I know that one from, yes. from the books. <laughs> so I'm going to be uh, kind of citing a bunch that uh, this guy Paul Barber wrote about in his book Vampires, Burial, and Death, Folklore and Reality, um, a 1988 book. So basically, there was this really important historical event, the Treaty of Passarowitz. Um, This happened Mm. in 1718. Basically, parts of Serbia and Wallachia were ceded to Austria, and the occupying Mm. forces noticed this local practice of exhuming bodies and, like, killing them. As you do. As you do. And so this was based on, like, folklore that had existed beforehand, but became, in the 18th century, this, like, widespread mass hysteria, paranoia, and panic that, like, swept across Europe, um, but started mostly from here. That's fucking wild. So an example of this earlier folklore that existed, this is a Prussian folklore specifically, the shoemaker of Breslau. Mm -hmm. This is like a late 1500s folklore. Mm -hmm. A shoemaker slit his throat. His own throat? Yep. Oh, wow. Okay. I don't know who else it could have been in the way you said that (laughs) sentence. I don't know why I asked that. (laughs) A shoemaker slit his own throat. His wife, um, she didn't want it to be known that it was a suicide. Mm -hmm. So she said, it was me. I did it. I murdered my husband. (laughs) No, so they, they like, dressed him up. She and, like, the son, like, dressed him up and made it oh. look like he had a stroke instead. God. And he was buried. Uh, That's some Edgar Allan Poe shit, man. Right. But then he went on a rampage as a vampire. Right. And was killing all these people throughout the town because at the time it was believed that those who committed suicide or were buried improperly would come back as a vampire. Oh. Interesting. And so he went on this rampage because he killed himself and was, like, buried in a way that was, like, a lie. And then- mm-hmm. Uh, eventually the authorities exhumed his body chopped it up burned the pieces and threw the ashes into a river to like stop his bloody rampage shit the extent to which a vampire has to be destroyed in buffy is also kind of variable like after 
season one when when she kills the master or whatever he they have to like go through all this shit with his bones but then it's still not good enough until she just smashes them into a little you know as xander says she grinds his bones to make her bread oh my god Uh, (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean obviously she doesn't actually make bread out of it but that is the uh but most of the time they just go poof and disappear and there's no extra exhuming or cleaning up necessary. Just hit him with that stake to the heart. I don't know if they can stop a vampire from coming back though. Like the, she just lurks outside of graves and waits for thing for ones that might be vampires. Yeah, I don't really know if they're I don't know if they talk about prevention, I guess, in Buffy, right? Yeah, like, it's mostly like they just they happen yeah. and she's like, oh, well, got to deal with it. Yeah, I don't think there's a way to head it off at the pass. Yeah. Perhaps if she had tried chopping them all up into tiny pieces and burning them before they came back as vampires. <laughs> although that may have been a little bit more logistically difficult than the other one. And also, if they weren't ever going to turn into a vampire, kind of just fucked up. Yeah. yeah. Rumor has it uh, that the vampires turned into dust in Buffy for just like pure convenience reasons of like oh, really? not wanting to have to deal with bodies lying around Makes or sense. for Buffy to have to like constantly be lugging oh, bodies to, like, into clean the woods. Up. Yeah. It'd be really hard to cover that shit up. as like a high schooler. It's like, oh yeah, I'm just constantly you've got bodies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Later on, there's a demon that doesn't, they like explicitly lampshade hang it and it, she's like, oh, I guess this one didn't poof. Well, Bummer. where should we put it? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, so, like, at this time, a bunch of, like, really popularized, um, like, vampire stories started existing and were, like, spread like wildfire during this 18th century controversy. The first is the story of Peter Blagojevic, also known in German as Peter Plogojowitz. Uh So this story happened in 1725. Basically, he had a day-long illness, um, and he died. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the end. What a story. What a story. Long life, so many accomplishments. He lived and he died. Um, So he lived in the village of Kisilova in Serbia. This is really shortly after the changeover of like Serbia and Wallachia to Austria. Mm -hmm. So 10 weeks after his death, he was reported to visit nine different people in their sleep, his body undecomposed and odorless, um, to strangle them and suck their blood from their bodies. So they died usually after a short illness. Like they, it took them like a day to die. Mm-hmm. And on their deathbed, mm-hmm. they were like, this guy came after us and he was like still alive and fine. This is actually like a really Weird. common thing in vampire folklore at the time was the idea of not an instantaneous sudden death, but this like lingering illness that claimed yeah. someone and then they came back from the dead. Huh. Huh. Like they got some kind of virus and then they changed. Right. So um, this was happening. People were freaking out. Eventually, a priest showed up and uncovered the guy's body. And it wasn't there? Well, he wrote that it actually looked like he was completely fresh. It wasn't an unchanged body, but he had, like, grown new skin. His hair had grown. His fingernails had grown. Okay. Yuck. And there was, like, fresh blood around his mouth kind of thing. And so they, uh, the priest staked him, and fresh blood poured from the wound, and then they burned Ew. his body to, like, stop his rampage. This is all very unsettling. Speaking of the sexuality part. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so this guy, Paul Barber, in his book wrote the accounts of these people involved, like the priest and like translated his writing mm-hmm. on it. Yeah. Part of it is that the priest like kept saying that there were uh, quote unquote wild signs of the body. Wild what? signs of the body? In what, in what way? Boner? <laughs> exactly. 
So Paul Barber said it was generally assumed that the wild signs implied that the corpse had an erection. Uh, the vampire folklore is a sexual creature. His sexuality is obsessive. Indeed, in Yugoslavia, when he is not sucking blood, he's apt to wear out his widow with his attention such that she too pines away Whoa. like his other victims. Wow. Wear out his widow. Yep. Oh, Dude. God. I can't tell if I love that or hate it. <laughs> it's pretty horrifying. <laughs> okay, why? Was necrophilia like rampant? Or at this time? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Maybe, I think one of the explanations this guy gave was that part of it is that they probably had a quote-unquote erection because of bloating of their sexual organs after death. Sure. Ew. So, like, that's maybe where the link came from. Guys, I want to be cremated. <laughs> if I die, please. I don't want any of this. <laughs> sure, yeah. Just just start, you know what? Start with the chopping me up and burning me into pieces. <laughs> You don't want to get staked oh, first, not staked to the heart, and then chop no. you up. And, yeah, yeah. Okay. Just go through all of the, once I'm dead, go through all of the procedures for anti-vampire. I don't want to be a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> it all sounds really horrifying, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah, so that was the story of Peter. And after Peter, well, rather around the same time, there was another Serbian, Serbian folklore of Sava Savanovic, who... Is one of the more famous Serbian vampires. He was said to have lived in an old water mill, and whenever millers came to mill their grains, he would kill them and drink their blood. There is okay. a vampire mill in Skyrim. There is a vampire <laughs> mill in Skyrim. I there's can't a, remember their names though. Uh, it's Hurt and Hearn. Okay. Hmm. I wow. Fantastic game. Do you think it's that? Maybe. I mean, yeah, they, they explicitly, like, kill and drink the blood of millers who came to mill their grains. Um, yeah, so these are, like, the two main stories of this vampire controversy in the uh, 1700s. Um, Voltaire, the French Enlightenment writer and historian and philosopher, uh, wrote about this. Um, he said, These vampires were corpses who went out of their graves at night to suck the blood of the living, either at their throats or stomachs, after which they f returned to their cemeteries. The person so sucked waned, grew pale, and fell into consumption. While the sucking corpses grew fat, got rosy, and enjoyed an excellent appetite. It was in Poland, Whoa. Hungary, Morovia, Austria, and Lorraine that the dead made this good cheer. Morovia sounds so much like Barovia. <laughs> yeah, also, does. can you imagine if fucking the vampires in Buffy were constantly going for the gut instead of the neck? Wow. Gross. That would be so <laughs> silly. It would be such a bad aesthetic. <laughs> it wouldn't be, I guess, as like sexualized like the whole biting experience speak yeah. for yourself marcus oh okay, okay. i mean whatever <laughs> I'm, you know what everybody likes some belly button play i guess just get a fang in there <laughs> yep <laughs> good lord oh my god yeah so there was this like crazy vampire controversy and then, you know, in the 1800s, there was this explosion of vampire literature and popular culture. You had, like, The Vampire by Polidori, Carmilla by Lafoe, Dracula, obviously, by Bram Stoker. Um, and this, like, depiction of vampires as these, like, high-status, alluring sexual creatures, you know? People that had money were, like, associated with, like, the aristocracy and, like, were explicitly linked to, like, sex, you know? I mean, for Buffy, they seem to be, right? Like, I mean, yes, the Dracula episode, he's, like hypnotic and sexy and all that buffy can't seem to get enough no buffy's real into it when then you had like some of the vampires were like like willow vampire right so you had like the alternate timeline oh, one yeah. and she also is like a really like over sexualized in the way she's acting version of willow huh right 
Yeah, everybody in that in that who becomes a vampire in that timeline gets all sexified. Like Xander's all like smoldering. <laughs> Willow's like licking everything and like straddling Angel. It's a whole thing. Straddling him and dropping matches on his chest, but oh my god, what? You don't remember that? She drops matches on his fucking chest. She's I like, did forget Puppy about that. Wants Whoa. to play or whatever, and then she like drops lit matches on him. Oh boy! I feel like this just shows that vampires are just all kinds of thirsty. Way thirsty for sustenance and sex. All kinds of thirsty. all kinds. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I guess what I wanted to end on, so Buffy had Dracula, we kind of talked about mm-hmm. that. Actually, like, the book Dracula existed in Buffy, because, like, Spike goes on about how he was, like, a sellout for making vampire vulnerabilities, like, public knowledge, because the book existed. <laughs> so fucking good. He's like, he's just trying to show off and get laid, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Now, what I wanted to talk about was the Icelandic version of Dracula. How is it different? It's actually very different. So, okay, so Dracula was published in 1897. Mm-hmm. There was a, an Icelandic version called Macht uh, Mirkrana, which literally translates to Powers of Darkness. Dope. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is written by Valdimar Asmundsen. So he, like, quote-unquote, translated Dracula. And no one who spoke English paid any attention to this book for, like, a hundred years. Everyone just thought it was the Icelandic translation of Dracula. This is oh. maybe a stupid question. Did Bram Stoker write in English? I don't actually know where that dude is from or yeah, what language so. he wrote in. Okay. I wasn't sure. So then in 1986, like people who studied Dracula found this book and then realized it was absolutely not a translation and <laughs> was what? actually basically a fan fiction. Fan fiction. Oh, whoa. Some oh my super God, old fan fiction. Right, and it was, like, totally, like, undiscovered to, like, English speakers. This, like, random Icelandic, like, version of Dracula that was, like, not actually Dracula. It was, like, a different version of the story. Like, parts of it were the same, but there were, like, (laughs) new characters, and, like, some of the characters weren't in it anymore. Wait, so, like, everybody in Iceland had been, like, oh, yeah, I've read Dracula, but they had been reading somebody's fan fiction? Yeah, basically. That's fucking (laughs) wild. So this Dracula scholar read it and realized that there were some new characters, a reworked plot, and, quote, the resulting narrative is one that is shorter, punchier, more erotic, and rivals the original in terms of suspense. Damn. Okay, so 100% Twilight and Fifty Shades of Grey. (laughs) Yeah, basically... It gets kind of complicated because it had, like, a preface that was, like, allegedly written by Bram Stoker. (laughs) But now people think that that was a forgery and it wasn't actually written by him. It was written by, like, some other person. Some mystery author. Yeah. The real Bram Stoker. Enjoy my book. (laughs) Right. Like, it was just, like, this wild, like, fake, like, preview to this fucking book. And then it turned out there was a Swedish version of Dracula that is closer to the Icelandic one. And so maybe the Icelandic one is a fan fiction of the Swedish version, which also isn't a correct translation of Dracula. Oh, my fucking God. Wow. So fucking all Scandinavian nations were just like, eh, fuck it. Let's do our own version and call it his. Yeah. <laughs> so wild. That's incredible. I wonder, That's it's interesting because like, that's something that probably has happened with a lot of different books in a lot of different times. That would make sense. And it just happens to be like, I mean, Dracula is a well enough known thing that there are like a guy who's a Dracula scholar who might notice, right? But I bet there are lots of books maybe not lots i don't know but i bet there are lots of times where it's like the the quote-unquote translation of it 
is actually just not that book. And right. how would anyone find out, right? I mean, it's either coincidence or it has to be a big enough deal that someone would be studying it. Yeah, so the thing with the Swedish version and the Icelandic one in turn is that, like, some people think that Stoker was involved with it and that, like, was, like... <laughs> Ghost in- writing. <laughs> well, that he, like, helped the writer of the Swedish version by, like, giving him earlier story notes and it was a more erotic oh. and a more political version. Huh. Political in what way? I can't believe I asked that instead of erotic in what way. I'm so sorry. Let me start with this. I also don't know. Listen, I also don't know anything about Dracula. I cannot comment on its politics. I read it once and was very bored the entire time. Can you comment on its eroticism? I think it was just sexier. It was a lot punchier. The wives had a bigger deal. And that's pretty much all I got. A lot of these articles I'm reading are refusing to go into the eroticism. Absolutely no missionary, though. Apparently not. That is, uh, well. Not with Lilith. Not happening. But yeah, so the Swedish text is more complicated and has different scenes that aren't in Dracula or in the Icelandic version. So now that there there are like these three versions of Dracula. I'm going to write Dracula now. (laughs) They're like totally different. Like each one of them has different shit in it. And yet the other two versions of Dracula are absolutely 100% sexier and more political and punchier than the original. That is great maybe bram stoker couldn't find a publisher with his sexy version so he like found some other people he's like i have to get this out there somehow it has to be out there the world (laughs) maybe yeah the icelandic and swedish publishers were not as like prudish about it and so he's like here you go just publish this in your language i'll publish my stupid prudish version over here yeah but at least someone will know what i wanted it truly to be Anyway, so that was, like, the Icelandic version of Dracula for, like, a hundred years, and wow. it was not until the late 80s that it was discovered that it was actually a different book. Okay, so now, I mean, the answer to this has to be yes, but I want the answer to this to be no. Do they have a real translation of the real Dracula now? Yeah. Oh, Sarah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they do. No, I know. I know that's the only possible answer, but I want I just want to believe that it's like, no, if you only speak... Well, I guess everyone over there can read English anyway. Anyway, I just thought that was like a fun little Dracula <laughs> fact is that for some reason, there is this Icelandic and a Swedish version that are like different and maybe linked. It's like debatable that Stoker had communication with like the Swedish author and mm-hmm. then the Icelandic version is based on the Swedish version in some way, but so it's like good. shorter and like better written like actually a lot of the people are saying it was better written because it was like a tighter plot structure wow okay that's awesome it, like so if you were to want to like buy the last icelandic or like one of the other versions can you get like just grab it on the internet like a english translation of that yeah i believe that there are now uh english translations of both of them that you can buy currently oh. <laughs> might have to add that to the this reading list amazing yeah, right? What a fucking Ouroboros of a situation. <laughs> Isn't that so wild? Amazing. Oh my god, what a delight. Anyway, I just wanted to plug that since Dracula technically was in Buffy and also had, I think we talked about it last time, right? Like his weird, like, hypnotic shit made everyone, like, super into him, especially mm. Xander and Buffy. Yes. Uh, yeah, so that's pretty much all I have to say about folklore versions of vampires. And it basically boils down to Buffy fucking really, I mean, it fucked it up. There were so many interesting things I could have pulled in, like the hopping vampires. And then instead they were just like, actually, all vampires are basically just this. So that's fine, I guess. 
at least they're, I mean, I guess they use some of those, I mean, like other monsters have some of those other attributes, but they definitely miss out on the hopping thing. I'm very disappointed about the hopping. The hopping thing's really cool. I think like, I don't know, I thought like the whole firefly thing was pretty cool because it Mm -hmm. also could take human form and possess people while it's in its human form. Whoa. Yeah. Or like the impundulu, like the lightning bird. How cool, right? Like it sucks light. It like Mm -hmm. can suck blood and do lightning powers. Like that's so much That's pretty rad. My expert opinion, I guess, is uh, that Buffy kind of fucked that up a little bit. Buffy could have done better, (laughs) is my expert opinion. (laughs) Fantastic. Thanks for listening to In My Expert Opinion. Please remember to rate and subscribe. We'd also be grateful if you'd leave a review with your expert opinion on why this podcast is rad. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at expertoppod, or email us at inmyexpertopinion at gmail.com. Later, nerds! <laughs>